0: Turn to Luke 24. We're in our second to the last study here in Luke's gospel and the road to Emmaus. Let's pray. Father, we have come again so grateful, Lord, that we live in a country where, in spite of wearing masks or, Lord, the things that we've endured for these last nearly year and a half, uh, Lord, we are blessed. And we are blessed to be able to study your word. And so we pray for our leaders. Lord, whether we voted for them or not, God, we ask that you'd grant them wisdom from heaven. We pray that you'd speak what is your good and perfect will into our lives. And Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, Lord, would we be like these disciples? As they finally get it, Lord, as they walk that Emmaus Road, would we have a meeting with you today? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Question for you. Does anybody in here ever get discouraged? Ever? Like ever? I think we all do, don't we? We get discouraged, and very often, especially for us as the church, we get discouraged because there is often a gap between what we expect God to do and what God actually does or allows. What we expect God will do and what God does or what God allows. Notice I use two things there because sometimes God is actively involved in doing something, and sometimes he, by his grace, his mercy, and his sovereignty, simply allows things to occur that he will then use for his glory, his perfect will, his permissive will. That is never more clear than it is here as we continue our journey uh, here at the end of Luke's gospel as We take verses 13 to 27, this Emmaus Road experience, Verse 13, and it begins, and now behold, two of them, But the them are disciples, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. So they begin to walk. Can you imagine being a disciple of Christ? This is still resurrection day. This is the same day. This is that first Sunday when Jesus has been raised. There are two of his disciples and they're walking. Now, to give you an idea, when you left the city of Jerusalem, as you could still do today, you would have left through one of the many gates at that time. There were perhaps as many as 12. They would have left through the Western Gate or the Jaffa Gate. They're now on the road heading towards the coast. They're going roughly due west, down a little tiny narrow a valley that gets narrower and narrower until it finally gets to this little tiny town of Emmaus, and it's on a watercourse. And they talked of all the things which had happened. Imagine that you're a disciple, that you've been following Jesus, and what you now believe is Jesus is dead. You believed in the kingdom, you believed that Jesus was speaking the truth, but Jesus the one who spoke these things, spoke of a kingdom that was eternal, that same Jesus you believe is dead. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This is one of the secrets to the Christian life. If we will draw near to him, He will draw near to us. If we abide with him, he abides with us. The closeness that you have with Jesus is directly dependent on you desiring to be close to Jesus. If you do not want to walk with Jesus, then you can get as far away as you want to get. And that's never good. And they're walking, but Jesus here in this moment knowing where these two disciples are at, walks right up to them, but their eyes were restrained. Interesting in the original language here, it seems to mean that they could not see because they chose not to see. They were looking in the wrong place, they were looking for the wrong thing, When our minds and our hearts are not in tune with God's will, then very often our eyes become restrained as well. We don't see what we need to see because we are not looking in the right place. We're not looking for the right thing. And so here are two disciples whose minds are not in tune with the work of the Spirit. They're looking the wrong direction. They're not expecting, in other words, to actually see Jesus, I hope you come to church. I hope you live your life expecting to see Jesus. It's an essential in the life of a believer. So that they did not know him. And they said to him, He said to them, Excuse me, what kind of conversation is this that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? They're discouraged. They're sad. Their countenance is down. And then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened here in these days? In other words, are you the only guy that doesn't know what's been going on in Jerusalem? The rest of us really have been kind of captivated by this one event, the crucifixion of this man named Jesus of Nazareth. Are you the only person that doesn't know what's going on? And he said to them, what things? I love this. It's got a little irony, a little bit of of Jesus poking at him a little bit almost. Kind of testing him, if you will. And while the Lord doesn't test us to sin, sometimes he does allow things in our lives, pokes at us a little bit so that we wake up so that we see things the way we should see them. What things? And so he said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet, mighty in deed and in word before God and all the people. Isn't it crazy how you can know the truth and not actually walk in it? Mighty in word. Mighty indeed. And how the chief priests and our rulers, so we know they were Jewish, delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And here it comes. Here's you. Here's your expectations. Here's my expectations. Here's the things that sometimes cause us to be discouraged the difference between what we hope for and what God allows in our lives. That place where our expectations, perhaps would be a good word, are not actually met. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And this was the chief problem for most of the Jewish people. They believed that what Jesus was saying was the kingly part Of the messianic promise, and we'll get to more of that later. You see, because there there was a truth to what they believed, but they did not have the whole counsel of the scriptures. They had the part in their head that they personally wanted to believe, which was the Messiah. Would be the literal Redeemer. In other words, He would set them free from the bondage of Rome. They were not looking for the whole Messiah, as the Old Testament clearly portrayed, they were looking for their own Messiah. Church, I cannot tell you how important it is that you look for Jesus, not a Jesus of your own making. Not the one that you want, that is your personal genie that does everything that you ask, but the Jesus that is very clearly taught in the entirety of the Bible. Can I tell you that that Jesus sometimes is going to tell you things you don't want to hear? He's going to do things to you that you don't want done. He's going to transform parts you want to keep, and he's going to take away parts that you you really like to hang on to, and he's going to put things into your life that you don't necessarily want in that moment, but are absolutely necessary for your growth. He knows what you need and when you need it, and sometimes those two things don't quite cross up in your head. Church, we all get an opportunity to have an Emmaus Road experience. It's part of our lives in Christ. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened, and yes, certain women in our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying that they have also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And here comes Jesus. And then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Not just the part you want, not just the part you like, but all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? There's the part they didn't want. There's the part they didn't like. There's the part they missed. There's the part, just like there is a part likely in your life where scripture touches you and you don't want God to touch that part of your life. You don't want the Lord to speak that thing, that truth, and you're you're okay with the rest of what the Bible says. It is amazing to me how many people want Jesus Christ to be Savior, but they do not want him to be Lord. They want him to be Savior. They want to go to heaven, But that lordship part where Jesus is the boss, where Jesus calls the shots, where Jesus rules and reigns in the hearts and the minds of men and women, where Jesus transforms us and renews us and changes who we are and gets rid of those things that we cling to, that's the part where we often have discouragement. You see, I very often just simply want Jesus the way I want Jesus. And the Bible teaches no such thing for the life of the believer. Your life is no longer yours. It was purchased with the precious blood of the Lamb. You have been bought and paid for in that sense by the blood of Christ and the life that you now live is not even your own. It actually is a life that he lives in you for his own glory and for his kingdom purposes. <laughs> Amen? This is so important for us in our walks with the Lord because God has a plan for you. But it's his plan. And it has to be done his way with his resources, his tool, and the power of the Spirit as you learned on Thursday night from Pastor Chet, has to be in the mix. You have to be led by the Spirit of God, not simply by what you want, not simply by what you know, but by the true and the living God who is speaking to you daily, primarily through his own written word. Beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus gives them a Bible study. Amen? You see it there in verse 27. Here's what Jesus does they have a problem. They've actually seen the right things. They've heard the right things, but they don't believe the right things. How does Jesus respond to people who've seen the right things, heard the right things, and yet do not believe? He takes them to the word. He speaks the word of truth to them. In essence, now Jesus didn't have to pull out a Bible because he is the word, so he could just simply speak it. He is it. But for you and I, this is a picture of us being students of God's word. Actually knowing what the Bible says, not just the parts we like. You ever noticed how when you've got a crummy attitude, it's so easy to say, hey, brother, judge not. You ever noticed when you're the one that has a problem with the truth, oh, oh man, you're, you're supposed to believe all things and hope all things. The Bible also doesn't say you're supposed to be dumb and stick your head in the sand. You see, sometimes we kind of pick and choose what we want to believe out of the scriptures, don't we? When it suits us. Jesus is now going to speak to these disciples. The Greek here is Jesus walks and they're talking says they were having an animated conversation. They're using their hands. It's like, man, can you believe it? It's like Jesus was on the cross and he died and they're just going wild. They had seen everything. But what had they gleaned from what they saw? What happened to them? And I love how patient the Lord is with them. He kind of chides them a little bit. and At the same time, he gives them what they need. Can I tell you God's going to do that to you? There are going to be times when you're going to get chided a little bit. You're going to get poked a little bit. God's going to stick a finger in your rib and go, come on, Jeff. Does not my word say? And so Jesus begins to expound to them a truth that we sang about this morning. is actually contained in Romans chapter 8. Verse 31 says, what then shall we say to these things if God be for us who can be against us? Amen? You see, some Christians actually don't walk in that truth. Well, you know, if the Republicans before us, or if the Democrats before us, or if we have the right governor, if we have the right city councilor, we have the right type of policing, if, if all these things be for us, then life will be grand. No, if God be for us, who can be against us? And if that's not clear to you, if you read the rest of these verses, it goes so far as to say, Who is he who condemns? Verse 34 of Romans 8. It is Christ who died and therefore is forevermore also risen and sits at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril? The sword? Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Not our crazy political world. Not the tensions we have in race relations. None of these things can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, provided we don't give in to the devil. Who is it who condemns? It's Satan. Satan. Who is it that separates? El Diablo. Who is it that lies? The fork-torn one. You see, so when you see those things, sometimes we give in to that. And then there is separation. There is pain. There is anguish. But that's not from the Lord. And so these... Two disciples, whom I happen to believe may well be husband and wife. Notice the name of the second one is not given. Very common that a woman's name wouldn't actually be used in the context of Scripture. And again, agree with it or disagree with it, I wouldn't do it today. But it's possible this is Cleopas and his wife. And they're having a conversation as they walk down the road. Honey, what do you think? The beauty of all of this is the more they talked, the more they walked, the further they journeyed. They kind of talked each other into some unbelief. But Jesus wasn't going to let them stay there. And so he comes into that conversation. Jesus does not want you to stay in your unbelief. This little town and we visit Emmaus when we're in Israel, there's a church there. Uh, The church that's there now was founded in the third third century, but there's been first century tombs there. There are tombs all over this particular hillside. But as you're there, as you walk through this canyon, you, you come down to this little town, you can imagine this is actually a really peaceful journey. They're kind of walking along a stream bed. The road itself still travels through that same canyon. And there's trees on the hills. And they're missing every single bit of that beauty because they're concerned about the things that they saw and they're not seeing it from the right perspective. you ever noticed how in your own life you become overly concerned with things when you don't have the right perspective, when the word is not first? When you dismiss what the word says, then you even will miss the good things that God's put in your life. This, even this walk should have settled them a little bit. But not even that could do it. Not even a little mini vacation from the hectic things that had happened in Jerusalem. You might be asking, well, what did they really want? What more evidence could they actually have asked for? Now I want you to see this for yourselves. They have admitted, we saw these things. They had already heard that Jesus was alive, but they chose not to believe it. There had been plenty of witnesses, there had been angels that announced that Jesus was alive. The Marys, Salome, they, they'd all seen the empty tomb. Jesus has already spoken to Simon, but they didn't believe. And so you might be asking, well, how would they know? What does Jesus do? He says, look, I'm going to expound to you from the scriptures. What did the prophets say? Well, what the prophets said was, if you actually took into account all the prophets said, this is why knowing your Bible is so important, when you go to the Old Testament and you look for a Messiah, there are 486 passages in the Old Testament that speak of some portion of Of the coming of the Messiah. Life, birth, death, burial, resurrection, what would happen, where he would live, where he would be born. That stuff was all there. You know what was also there? He was going to die as a suffering servant. How could they have missed Isaiah 53? How could they have missed Psalm 22? How could they have missed Psalm 16, which clearly says, speaking of the Messiah, the grave could not hold him. You see, what they were remembering was the end of the book of Isaiah, where it speaks of this glorious kingdom, where Israel is restored, where the lamb lies down with the lion, where swords are beaten into plowshares. You see, they got all of that stuff. They got the kingdom stuff, the results of it, but they forgot what it would cost to get to that kingdom. It would take the death of the Messiah. It would take the chastisement for our peace being placed upon him. It would be his stripes that would heal us. It would be him being nailed to the tree so, Jesus gives them a Bible study. He says, Guys, I think you kind of forgot a few things. And no doubt he walks them through these passages of Scripture. I'm sure he began in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Hey, Cleopas, do you remember the seed of the woman? Do you remember what would happen? All well, the serpent would bruise the heel but the seed would crush the head of the serpent. You know what happened when I was raised? I put Satan's head underneath my shoe and I broke his neck. Death is defeated. Sin now is restrained by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You see, the Bible is actually very clear But they simply wanted a political, military ruler. They wanted a kingdom now theology. Well, let's just square away everything in the world right now so that the Jewish people rule and reign. That's what they wanted. And Jesus is saying, no, I want to rule and reign in your heart one at a time to all who will believe These men had walked and talked with Jesus, but they obviously hadn't heard a lot of what he said. Remember, he's actually said, I must go to Jerusalem. I must eat this Passover. I must give my life. He had said this over and over again. Oh, well, we don't want that. Be careful what you pick and choose out of God's word that you look at God and you say, but I don't want that. Because the totality of God's word is for you and for me, for us. It all applies. Do not be a hunt and peck believer in God's word. It is the whole counsel of God's word that's necessary in the life of the believer. That is why we do what we do with God's word here in this church. That's why we study cover-to-cover Genesis to Revelation. Because it all matters. Genesis matters as much as Revelation matters. They just matter differently. They have a different message. Same focus, and that focus is Christ alone. I'm sure that he said, hey guys, did you ever think about what Passover actually means? You ever thought about what the ark was for Noah? Can you imagine all the things that Jesus could have said to explain what he was doing? Why it was happening that way? Maybe he talked to them about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Maybe he talked to them about Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, booths. We don't know exactly what he said, but what we do know is he expounded to them the scriptures. In other words, he taught them a Bible study. These two disciples had very dim hopes at that point in time. It had been a long day. It began at daybreak. They're they're now in the afternoon. Here they are, tearful faces. Shoulders slumped forward, no doubt tired, you know, seven miles. They weren't wearing Nikes, they were wearing flat-bottom sandals, they might even have been barefoot, who knows? It wasn't a nice paved sidewalk, it wasn't a walking trail that had been raked and graded. They were worn out, Exhausted. Very often the enemy comes to you when you're worn out and you're exhausted and he tries to discourage you. You've walked a lot of miles in life, and all of a sudden there's the enemy going, see, it's not real. This whole Jesus thing, what are you doing that for? I mean, what's real is your your friend's new car. What's real is that new position. What's real is what other people have that you would like. Of what Jesus was actually saying to them is, you know, guys, you're, you're kind of a stranger in a strange land. This world's not your home. I didn't come to just simply clean up this earth. I came to bring new life. And that life abundant. That transformation would begin when you say yes to Jesus and it will end when you go to glory to be with him. And in the meantime, you're going to have good days and you're going to have some not so good days. That's why Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation. Not you might, you will. That's why all who desire To live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not you might, you will. That's why you have to pick up your cross and follow him. And if you do not pick up your cross, you're unworthy to be his disciple. The life of a disciple is death to self, and that's not always pleasant things. You see, the reason they were depressed is they had the wrong perspective instead of looking to heaven they were looking to earth instead of desiring the things that god wanted to do they were desiring the things that they wanted to do this is always a recipe for a fatal funk This will happen to you too. When you get your eyes off of heaven and you place them solely on the earth, when you look at only what you can see, when you eliminate the word of God from your life and you simply look at the earth, you will almost always, as a believer, end up in a funk. You will be like these people with dim hope. In church, that's not what we've been called to be. We have been called to have inexpressible joy. In other words, joy that transcends the stuff that we're going through. We're still going through difficulties, heartaches, hardships. But there's supposed to be something different about us because this world is not our home. No matter what you have on this earth, it will never satisfy your human spirit and desire for more. Your mind and your body will always want more than what you have. I haven't met a single person who is wealthy that doesn't look at their wealth and go, well, yes, it's great, I'm glad, but I sure could use this. Jesus says to them, look, here's the things that I did. Do you remember? And they're thinking Back. They're thinking back of the treachery and all the stuff that happened with Judas. But they should have also been thinking of the miracles. They should have been thinking of the Sermon on the Mount. They should have been thinking about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You know what's really interesting is in the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus gives the Beatitudes... Do you remember that little part where he says, and bless those who curse you and do good to those who spitefully use you? You see, that's one of those things that if you're like me, I'm not really, that's not a big verse of my, you know, I'm like, mm, I'm not, I don't want to do good to people who don't like me. And yet that's the path that we've been called to walk. And that is where we are the most happy. That's where we're the most joyful. That's where we have the right perspective. When I can look at people who have hurt and harmed and do good to them, I know I'm on the right path. When I've had bad things happen in my life, and I still want to do good things for other people, I'm on the right road. The Emmaus Road is working. working. But when I just become bitter like the world is bitter, I become hateful like the world is hateful, when I do the things that the world desires for me to do and I stop doing the things that Christ wants me to do, that's when I'm miserable. Because I am redeemed. And I do love Jesus. And so God allows my life to be a little topsy-turvy in those moments. It's like, Jeff, do you really want what you have? Because I don't want that for you. You've chosen that path. You're not on the Emmaus Road. You're on some other road, Jeff. And you need to get on the right road. In other words, they actually missed Jesus. They heard the events. They saw the stuff. They got part of it right. But they were missing what was happening. and It was right in front of them. And good news is, as they were still two disciples with burning hearts. Did not our hearts burn within us? Jesus says, look, foolish ones, slow to believe. Look, here's the deal. I was supposed to suffer. Church, the more you receive the word of God the more you are going to desire or want the God of the Word. The more Christ in you that is your hope of glory, the more Christ out of you, which is who you're supposed to be. The more you put in of Jesus, the more of Jesus that comes out. These are transformational truths The more I know about him, the more I should be like him. Isn't it tragic when you find people that know a lot about Jesus, but they never, ever live it? They're loveless. Oh, they've got great theology, sparkling doctrine. But they're a misery to be around. They're prideful, they're arrogant, they're divisive are hurtful. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. John would take it so far to say if you reduce God down to his lowest common denominator, God is love. Not God is sovereign. He is that too. Not God is holy. He absolutely is. But if you were to reduce God to a single thing, God is love. Amen? Amen. That's who he is. No, seriously, we have to get that part right. Because you can get all the other stuff, you can have all of your doctrine in order, and you lose God as love, then the rest of the doctrine doesn't matter because the reason he came to this earth is for God so loved us. Not just to prove he was holy, or to prove he was sovereign, or to prove he's he's the rightful deed holder to the earth. He came because he loves you. Don't miss that part. These guys were thinking that Jesus the Messiah came to simply redeem Israel. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for deliverance, in essence, politically. Religiously, if you will. They were not looking for a personal relationship so much as they were looking for a deliverance from the hand of Rome. Church, it's Christ in you that's your hope of glory. It is his love that is the marker of the true believer. Yes, you're going to look and talk and walk a whole lot like Jesus if you're really his child. But that's going to be loving. Loving why James will go on to say speak the truth therefore one to another in love. Because you can beat one another with the truth. You can knock each other's teeth out with the truth. But if you take that truth and you say how do I lovingly deliver this so it is an apple of gold in a setting of silver so that it is something that that person wants to have you wrap that truth in love and say here In love, Jesus. You don't say, look, if you don't see this my way, it's the highway. You say, Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen? That's what they got. Notice what they did with what they got. And we'll pick up and we'll finish our journey here in Luke next Sunday. But as they arrive back in Jerusalem, they are thrilled. They're not complaining. They're not looking for other people to do something for them. They're not looking for someone to disciple them. They're not looking for someone to hold them accountable. They're looking to take what is now burning in their hearts and use it for the king and for his kingdom. In other words, they had what they needed. They're personally walking with the Lord. The final court of appeal had been gone to, and it was the Bible. And the Bible had prevailed in their lives. And again, at this time, it's the Old Testament only. There's no New Testament written at this time. But the Old Testament told them exactly what Jesus would do. Give you some reading material for when you get home. Read Psalm sixteen. Read Psalm twenty-two. Read Isaiah fifty-two, fifty-three, read Zechariah fourteen, read Psalm sixty-nine. Read what Jesus would have been saying to them. God loves you. God wants to walk with you. God wants to journey with you on the road to Emmaus. God wants to speak truth into your life, but He wants to do so in such a way that it transforms you into a more loving person, a kinder person, a gentler person, a person who prevails in difficulty, a person who esteems others more highly than yourself, a person who doesn't look to others to solve your problems, but you look to solve other people's problems. That's the Jesus of the Bible. That's what the Bible says about Jesus. Page after page after page. The Bible is a story of rescue. It's a story of ransom. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of renewal. It is a restorer story. It's a story where everyone comes out in the end blessed. That's what God wants. It's up to us to walk on that road to Emmaus with him. And I pray we do. The world doesn't need us to to preach some message about things that don't matter. The world needs us to preach Christ and him crucified for the remission of sin for transformation in our own personal lives so that we walk and talk and act like and love like Jesus. It's incredibly attractive to virtually everyone. And I pray that this week you have and Emmaus Road experience to where the Lord walks up to you and you hear his voice and he expounds to you the scriptures and you hear him say, now let's go do it. Because truly, that's how the church got started. That was the mission of the church. You've been transformed, now let's go transform the world. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. And if you need prayer personally after service, prayer room's available. Prayer team's in there. If you're watching online, you can do that online. You can type your prayer request in the margin there and we'll be happy to either call you or answer your prayer request right online. But for the rest of us, let's be looking for Jesus this week. You're walking on that road. Just be looking. It's like, Lord, where are you? Would you talk to me, God? Would you expound on the scriptures? Because I want to know you. Father, I thank you. Lord, I just thank you so many times when I have personally been looking the wrong way, looking for the wrong thing, the wrong solutions and you have been so kind and so gentle so merciful and wonderful to me you have put your hand on my shoulder and said, Jeff, it's going to be okay Lord, you have been faithful even when I've been faithless and so Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would be as disciples who met with you today that our lives would show who it is that we serve that the love that we have one for another would spill over, not just in this place, but to the world around us. And God, that you would do what is your good and perfect will. Help us to hear the entirety of your word and to do it, to be doers. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We love you for your mercy. And we pray that we would be as you are, merciful and kind, gentle and tender, Lord, the world needs that. And so help us to be like you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.